All right, we have a power. Of the, did we get the, the, the graphic uh, get finished? Um, let's put that up there. I, I, I love this. Uh, Pastor Charles really uh, worked on this. I don't know why it wasn't up. Uh, but this is, this is our graphic for our series. And we're calling our series uh, Ugly Incarnation, the word incarnate in flesh. And then at the bottom, discovering a smaller God. And I love, I love this for multiple reasons because we've talking, we're talking about the descent that Christ made. And, and when he, when he stepped off the throne, he said yes to the mission. That was, that was, he began carrying the cross at that point. He laid aside his glory and, and, and then he left heaven to come to a planet. Now you may say, well, the planet didn't spiritually, morally, it looked like this. That's the planet he came to. It, the light shined in the darkness. It's an evil planet. It's got ruled, been ruled over by spiritual wickedness. And so is that Jesus? Is that a boy that just needs salvation? I think you can be intrigued uh, with it. But as we see this morning, Christ was like that young man. So we're going to start out in John chapter one, where we were last week. And remember, John's a different kind of gospel. Uh, he leaves things out. One is because the other gospels have said it, but he's not trying to be cutesy. He's trying to be, it's for emphasis. I was trained uh, in, in seminary. There'd be times they'd give us an assignment, read this book, and then come back and tell me, the professor, what wasn't in this book and why do you think they left it out? I mean, it's a, it's a really good way, uh, to read. I would get lazy sometimes and I'd say something like, well, they left it out because they just didn't have enough time to talk about it. Well, that earned me a big fat zero, uh, on my paper because he wanted the thought of, of, of like this one book I read. He never mentioned the Holy Spirit in the, and it was a book about, uh, Jesus and, there was no mention uh, uh, of the Holy Spirit. And there was, a, there was a reason for that. Not always good reason. So anyway, John, for example, this morning we're going to talk about witnessing, beholding the glory of Jesus. You would think out of all the Gospels, if he's emphasizing the glory of Jesus, that he would have the transfiguration where he goes up on the mountain with uh, 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 Peter, James, and John, and, 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 and he transforms in front of them and turns in to really who he is, but he's been veiled by flesh, and he shined as bright as the sun. Why would Jesus not just walk around like that? Why, why wouldn't you think that? So we're going to challenge some of these thinkings of, we're going to look at glory in a different way this morning, the way John uh, emphasizes it. So again, John doesn't mention the nativity, Bethlehem, virgin birth, Mary, Joseph, no mention. But he does mention the incarnation. So we'll look at that back. We'll come back to chapter one, verse 14, where he says this, the word became flesh. We taught you a new word last week, maybe a Greek word, sarks. It didn't just become human. He became Everything it means to be human in the condition in which we live in in this world. It's both, it's both his, his sense of being, uh, body and soul and mind. His flesh was totally human. Without sin is always the disclaimer, but that doesn't mean that Christ didn't have all the limitations that we have. 
And so John, instead of saying, and Mary gave birth to a child and they held him in, in swaddling clothing, he says the word, which was God, we learned last week, he came to us. He came down to us. That descent comes into a womb of a teenage woman. This is not, the, the, the whole. this whole series will be one of descent. We won't hit the bottom until we're at the bottom. So every step of the journey is another step in the descent of Christ from the highest highs of the Lord of glory. So this is a descent into the womb of a teenage, poor, ordinary, unknown, no pedigree, no, no, he could have come into the womb of a princess. He could have come. This is just a teenager who's married or he's who got married to Joseph, the stepdad of Jesus, the carpenter. Now, John says in verse 14, this, this flesh, he says, came and made his dwelling among us. Now, this is rich with the, the, the mission of God from the Garden of Eden to the book of Revelation. The mission of God has been to make creation, man and woman, in his image so that he could dwell with us. In the garden, he walked in the garden. In the, we, we, we referenced that in Christ before Christmas. The thought of Jesus coming before his incarnation, walking with Adam and Eve. Not 30 feet taller, not giant Jesus, but, but the pre-incarnate before this, the Christ who represented the Father and this appearing to walk with him. And there's some sense he's making noises. And I love this about Genesis. You can't prove it with the word. Uh, it can go, but it says they heard the sound of the Lord walking. And what was the sound? I've always been of the contention. He was singing zippity doo da, zippity a. My, oh my. I know that may not be politically correct anymore, but oh well, it's a wonderful song. And it's heartfelt. Zippity doo da. There's joy. The Father is joy. Now remember, in this series, you're going to learn that other than the human flesh, the the sarks, everything that Jesus is, he already was. He's not making God something different. He's coming down to demonstrate, reveal, manifest who the Father is in every part, both in how he comes what he's like when he comes, what he does, what he doesn't do. It's all speaking of the nature of God. God doesn't become humble when Christ comes to earth. If God wasn't humble, Christ would have never come to earth. So here's John saying, Jesus has come to dwell. Now that's why in the Old Testament, God had Moses build the the big tent, the tabernacle. He dwelt with them. uh, And then after the tabernacle, uh, King David wanted to build it, but his son Solomon builds a temple. God dwells in it. The, 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 The heart of God, he wants to be with you. He wants to become smaller. Not that he diminishes in who he is, but he becomes smaller so that he can dwell with us. In fact, the, the, the book of Revelation, the next to last chapter, 21, it ends with saying God has come to dwell with us and wipe away every tear. So I love this word dwell ties us to the garden, to the book of Revelation. Somebody, I think it's Eugene Peterson in the message, translates it, and Jesus moved into our neighborhood. 
Who's the new neighbor over there, honey? You always get new neighbors. You're always worried. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a roll of the dice. You know, we lost a good neighbor uh, last month that we've loved, and he, he went to be with the Lord, and John, and his wife Mary, and he's just a crusty old Catholic, and, uh, but boy, he was a good man. He loved us, and, and uh, we, we miss him, you know, and now we know she, his widow's going to have to move, and, and now we're going to have to have new neighbors. It's like, yeah, we've got to learn to be nice all over again, and... But if Jesus moved into the neighborhood, he came for a purpose, as John says. He dwells among us in verse 14. And John says, we have seen his glory. Remember? Now, this is John writing this who doesn't talk about the transfiguration. He's saying something here. We've seen his glory. The sense is, in this sarks, in this flesh, we've seen his doxa, D-O-X-A. We've seen, we've beheld, we've witnessed We've heard, we've, we've felt his doxa. And it seems like such a contrast between flesh and glory. So John's saying, we've seen it. We beheld his glory, the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So I want to kind of take you on a little journey this morning and kind of some mystery land, uh, some piecing some things together. I want to talk about the baby Jesus. I'm going to talk about the boy Jesus. I'm going to talk about the carpenter Jesus, kind of three phases of the life of Christ. Uh, so we referenced the, the incarnation, but I want you to see that it was, uh, and, and before I do that, I, I see my book here. I've been meaning to read. Uh, this is a quote that I found. The guy's name is Helmut Thicklick, I think if I said that right. You've got to be smart with a name like that, and German. So, uh, and he was both. Uh, he's a theologian. This is called, the book is called, I Believe, The Christian's Creed. But in this, I found this quote when I was, my wife and I were working on My Ugly Priest, the book that hopefully in March we'll, we'll get, it, uh, get it published. But this quote rocked my world. And, and it, it'll, it'll challenge, some of you can remember the book back in the 70s. I think it was reprinted. I think it was written in the 50s. But it was a book called Your God is Too Small. Anybody remember that book? It's a great book. The contention was God's big enough to do anything. Believe him, trust him. He's, but, but there's a sense that that can become overblown in theology and overemphasized. And this is what he's hitting at. So because Job's friends do this to him, they, they blow God up so big that he's irrelevant. And so my contention in writing uh, my ugly priest on the book of Job is that Job needed a smaller God. And this quote I've used uh, in the book. So listen to this. He says, tell me how lofty God is for you. And I'll tell you how little he means to you. That could be a theological axiom. The lofty God has been lofted right out of my private life. It is certainly remarkable, but it is true. God has become of concern to me only because he has made himself smaller than the Milky Way. Only because he is present in my little sick room when I gasp for breath or understands the little cares I cast on him or takes seriously the request of a child for a scooter with balloon tires. He concerns me because Jesus Christ 
takes my speck of anxiety and my personal guilt upon himself. I mean, I could just say, amen, Jesus has made God. Now, again, God was smaller. He comes to Job in a smaller way. He visits Job in the book of Job on Dung Hill. He comes to him as in the same way that Jesus walked in the garden. He comes smaller. And again, his smaller, becoming smaller like in the incarnation, doesn't make God less powerful, makes him more powerful. He comes smaller in a weak way that makes him approachable. And so I want you to first look with me about this smaller uh, smaller God. I want you to go to the book of Psalms. Psalm 22 is one of the most prophetic Psalms out of all of them. When you read it, if you know anything about the crucifixion, it's loaded with references from the first verse of what Jesus said actually on the cross. Now, this is the mystery and the wonder of the Bible. That thousands of years before Christ died on the cross, it's written what he's going to say on the cross. And Christ knew these words before he came to earth. He knew he was going to have to say these words because he felt these words in verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In this same chapter, it talks about them casting lots for his uh, garment that happened while he was on the cross. It referencing references him being pierced. And it's just a, when you read it, we all know Psalm 23, but Psalm 23 could only be real to us if God had not become smaller in Psalm 22. But I want you to see some prophetic, God uses King David who's writing this, and he, the Holy Spirit inspires him to speak as though Christ was speaking. Before his incarnation, this is in eternity, he speaks these words about his coming incarnation. Chapter 22, look at verse um, 9. He says, yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. Remember he came, and we're going to talk more about this next week. He came from the father's bosom or breast, chest, intimate spot. He came from heaven. He never really left it. He was always connected. But now, think of this as baby Jesus prophesying hundreds and hundreds of years before it actually happens. He knows that when he descends from heaven, he's going to be in a place of total vulnerability, that he will have to trust in the Father who provides the milk from Mary's breast. Moms, did you ever think about that, those of you that breastfed, that God provided that milk? There's women that can't produce milk at times, and they have to bottle feed uh, their babies. That milk was God's milk, God's supply. From, to Jesus. Now, the, these are mysteries we don't know about, but in the divine consciousness, there's some almost this glimmer in the womb of the Godhead of Jesus being aware that he's trusting the Father. I mean, I, obviously as a human, he doesn't have that awareness. I don't know how all that works. He's not two different people, but there's effects. He's left heaven. The memory of him has come with him as God but now he's going to have new memories as a man starting to be breastfed. Verse 10, from birth, I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Jesus never had to get saved. He's the Savior. Jesus didn't have to come and discover who God was. We're going to see that in a minute. He had that in him. He was God. And now there's the human part 
of Jesus. So let's dip into that a little bit. Let's go to Luke uh, chapter Luke chapter 2. Luke deals with uh, the physical birth of Jesus. And I love these. Uh, we know barely anything about Jesus after his birth. We know that they went to Egypt for a few years until King Herod died. And then they came back and they they uh, they lived in Nazareth. And so all we know from the birth of Jesus is this one account. So the Bible's silent after his birth for 12 years or 11 point whatever years. Uh, let's say 11 and a half because the wise men came. So we don't know nothing. Now there's lots of, that's one of the things that proves the validity of the Bible. Because if humans were writing it, they're not going to leave it silent. They're going to fill it in with embellishment, uh, like the Gnostic Gospels, if you're familiar with those. They're not biblical uh, writings. They were rejected by the church. But they have all these theories about young baby Jesus and the young boy Jesus that, you know, he was healing dogs that got hurt and he was working mirror. I mean, they have all these legends because nobody can grasp that God has come to earth and is doing nothing dramatic. They can't grasp that. So in this context, Jesus is now 12 years old. So let's jump in first in Luke 2, verse 40. It says, and the child grew, this is Jesus, and became strong. So there's a sense of progress. He, he needed to eat. He needed to, 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 to grow as natural as all of us. He didn't skip any stages of life. He lived through them as a human and he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. Now you got to understand, you know, I used to, I used to dislike uh, uh, ancient artwork where they'd have baby Jesus and they'd have a halo over his head and, I, and or they would do that with certain saints and stuff. And I always thought that I just chafed at that. Like they're trying to make it, woo. but now I see it with a different light. I see that this is their way of putting significance over ordinary. It's their way of saying, don't miss the glory of that baby. The baby didn't look glorious. He's just a baby. Nobody held him up and goes, that's the best looking baby that's ever been born. He might have been an ugly baby. I've seen some ugly babies. We never had any, but I've seen some. Your babies are never ugly. Oh, he's not ugly. Yeah, he is. He'll grow into that head, hopefully, but he's going to need some help. He's so ugly that they spanked his mama when he came out. They said, all right, we won't. Okay. Anyway, we don't know more ugly jokes. Baby Jesus. He grew. Think of this, because we're going to go later in the series where he tasted, by the grace of God, he tasted death for everyone. Two extremes. Child Jesus needed the grace of God. He's a human, but he needs the grace of God. He's going to be tempted. He's like every teenager is tempted. Every child is tempted. Now, there's a difference when he starts the ministry at age 30. There's a, there's a power encounter with darkness on another level that we'll talk about when he faces Satan. But before then, the Bible says he's tempted in every way. Like we are. As a young boy, he was tempted with hormones. He went through adolescence. He's, he's, he's huge, but he never yielded to sin. So here he is by the grace of God living 
a life that pleases the Father. Now, Mary and Joseph, as their habit was, they'd go once a year up to the temple to worship. It'd be an entourage from Nazareth, which, which isn't, it's a day's walk. And there would be, they say it could be, you know, miles long, the entourage of people they would sing and celebrate as they went up to Jerusalem to sacrifice. And then they would go back. And so Mary and Joseph came back and this huge entourage, assuming because he's never challenged them, he's never created any anxiety in their life. He is the perfect child. But you don't notice that because he's a normal perfect. He's not like shining, glowing, doing miracles. He's not, he's not showy. He's ordinary Jesus. But he's got a goodness about him. He's got a, a, a sensitivity about him. He's got a, 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 an obedience about him. You know, I don't think Jesus ever needed to be spanked. I don't think Jesus ever defied his prayer. This is the first step of them recognizing his independence. And he's almost at that age where they would recognize him as a young man uh, anyway in the Jewish culture. But let's, so they're up, they're going to the, uh, verse 43, I don't think I put that in there, but it, it references the boy. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Verse 44, thinking he was in their company, they traveled for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they didn't find him, they went all the way back, which is another day, to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, I thought that's pretty interesting. Okay, just saying. After Jesus unseen for three days, could he have been in a symbol of the tomb coming. But after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Oh, wouldn't that have been? I can't wait for for home movies uh, in the new heavens and the new earth. And Father, show us Jesus with these Pharisees that he's going to be confronted with in, in about... 17 years. Now, some of them may be dead by then, but these were, many of these were corrupt Pharisees. They're the ones that are going to put him on the cross. What was he asking them? Now, you've got to understand, he's, he's been raised by a mother that understood he had a supernatural birth, that God had callings for him, that he was to be the Messiah. He was, a, he was hard after Jesus at 12 years old. That's why we take our kids seriously at the vineyard. You don't, the devil takes kids seriously. He doesn't say, oh, look, they're only nine. Go easy on them. This world unleashes hell on nine-year-olds. Hell. Nine-year-olds in this world are dealing with stuff that most of us didn't deal with until we were in our 20s. Hell has been unleashed on, our, on this generation coming way behind us. It's just, so that's why we sacrifice and try to see and, and Pastor Terry and his team working with the kids. I mean, it's just, if you pray for things about the church, you pray about that generation being visited uh, by God. So here's Jesus. He's hard after God and his parents left. He's in the temple. He's just, he's interacting with the smartest, most brightest theological minds in the world. And he's, he's, he's not arrogant. He's not, I would have been cocky at that age. Come on. And I know more than you know. Come on. There's humility in this every piece of the way. This is one glimpse we get. And then it goes silent for 17 years. So they come back to the temple. Remember, they, they've lost Jesus. 
That's not looking good on your resume if you're the parents of God and you've lost him. Most of us parents have gone through scares. I know we've had a couple near misses with losing our kids when they were real young. Left one at the church one day and uh, only four and drove off in a, a van filled with other kids and our other daughters and and you know celebrating our great service and we drove all the way down Sanibel till we got to the causeway and realized we'd left one behind and nobody was there and there's a big road Sanibel Captiva Road and it was it was literally the longest and we had no cell phones we had no way to get a hold we and we could get there faster than the cops so we turned around and raced and she had crawled into the kitchen. It used to be our kitchen. We had moved out, but it's now the nursery. She'd crawled up on the counter and poured her own bowl of cereal and figured, if you're going to abandon me, I'm at least going to feed myself. And so she's always been a little independent. Let me just help you. Uh, and we wept and wept. We felt like the world's, we wanted to call 1-800-I-M-the-world's-worst-parent. Who forgets a kid? We did. And they lost baby Jesus, so I'm not worrying about it. He's not baby Jesus, but he's the boy Jesus. And so you got to know they're feeling anxiety. He's been entrusted to us. And so verse 47, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Wow. Come on. This is God in a young boy that's growing into the fullness of what he will become as a human but how much, I don't know. I don't know. There's so much I don't know, but it's intriguing. Verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father, Joseph, and I have been anxiously searching for you. First words of Jesus recorded in Luke. There's, there's first words in each of the gospels. They're all different. Luke emphasizes, these are the first words of Jesus. Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I had or I must be in my father's house? A lot of versions translated, I must be about my father's business. Didn't you know, mom, mom, you should have known. You know I've got a, a calling. I've got a mission at 12, he understood he had a heaven. Remember, she said, your father. No, he's a good man. He's been a stepdad. He's been a great stepdad. He trains him to be a carpenter, but he's not his natural father. He said, my father. I had to be about my father's house or business. And then verse 50 but they didn't understand fully what he was saying. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient. That's condense. He knows. There's, there's this knowing, yet he yields to his stepdad, honors him. You'll never, go, you'll never go wrong honoring your mother and father. But yet, Heavenly Father was number one. If his mom would have said, you can't go to the temple, he would have gone to the temple because he's going to honor God before humans. But he honored his parents. He humbled himself. And it says his mother treasured all these things in her heart like it, at his birth. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with men. So that's all we know. For 17 years, that's all we know. He grew normal. He grew in wisdom. I mean, this is a, it, it, he's, he's got full capacity of his, he's growing though. It's a progression. He grew in wisdom. 
Why? Because he studied. He sought God. Now, God gave, gave him 17 years of silence. From this point till his baptism, we know nothing about Jesus. Now, let me just stop there when we talk about seeing his glory. There's some amazing people. I won't, I'm, I'm giving you speculative understanding. I don't, I can't, I can't give you, because God left that at our invitation to think about it. Why would God come to earth that needed saving and wait 30 years before he saved anybody? Think about that. That's a drastically contradictory to the world's way of doing life. Just think if Jesus would have been in his teenage years like Moses. Knows he has a mission, knows he's called to be the deliverer. He sees evil and he attacks it in his own strength. And Moses ruined for the next 40 years. He had to go to the desert because of his premature. Jesus never moved until the father said now. There was this wisdom of God, the timing of God. It's so hard. But in this ordinary time, he worked as a carpenter. Now, if, if, if that doesn't communicate that God comes to earth, he takes the lowly form of being a human like us, born with a lowly family, born in a lowly occupation. He worked with his hands. Since he was a young boy, he was going with his dad, discipled. It was his father's occupation. What an amazing blessing on God's perspective of work. You may think what you do is no big deal. But if God let his only son be on this earth for all those years and just building things, I'd say work is really important to God. Whether you're working as a nurse or whether you're working as a teacher or whether you're working in construction or restaurant, service industry, or you're just staying at home working, raising children, or whether you're invested in volunteering to God. There's a significant, Jesus had man hands. I can shake a man's hand and it ain't mine. And I know when I shake Mitch's hand, he's a, he's a contractor. You don't shake a contractor's hand and it feels like baby soft like mine. I, I soak in dove. Just, I keep these just, just, just. I mean, I barely have a callus. I have a callus on this finger right here from writing, but uh, no hammer, no hammer calluses. I love that working man's or woman's hands, hard work. God says that's valuable. And this, these are some lessons you can extract from, from, from 30 years of silence. 12 years old in the temple, 17 years later before he comes on the scene. People struggled with that. God is becoming smaller, ordinary, normal. To be among us. Now, this is my only, I'm going to give you my only guess. One of the guesses is, is that Christ only ministered for three and a half years. 30 years on earth, three and a half in ministry. His contemporary, John the Baptist, who they were born within months of each other. John the Baptist lived in isolation in the desert for 30 years he had a ministry that was less than nine months. Isolated, eating honey and bugs in the desert, in the caves, 
seeking after God, getting ready for three months or six months. But he had the opportunity to announce the the Savior to the world. And we'll talk about that at Jesus' baptism. But you think about God, you, all that John went through, he, all that he was prepared, uh, and all he did was have a nine-month ministry. We measure time and the value completely different than God does. There are people that live into their 90s, and they live a wasted life. They made it to 90. They ate tofu and whatever. Good for them. What would you do with those 90 years? Did you honor God? Did you love people in his name? Did you do your work for his honor? Was your life surrendered to him? Or is it a legacy that you lived a long time? I don't care. I've had some of my best friends didn't make it to 50. But their life was significant and powerful and used by God in ways that I'll never even dream of having that kind of impact. You cannot measure impact by longevity. You measure impact by obedience and willingness to God. So here's my contention. I don't think as a human, Christ could have survived more than three and a half years with the weight of the sins of the world, the attacks of darkness, the, 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 the sorrows that came upon him. He bore our, 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 our sicknesses. He bore our diseases. I'm not saying he was literally sick, but he might as well have been. He bore, it, it literally disfigured him with the weight of the sins. Yes, he still had joy, but the weight, but before he even got to the cross, he had had so much suffering, so much pain, so much rejection, so much mental anguish. There's only so much a human body can handle. Only so much. Now, he had grace, but I, that's my contention. That if he had tried to spend 30 years at that intensity, his body could not have sustained it. Now, I, I, that, I could be wrong. I'm just saying, Lord, what is your invitation to us that you in your glory, you came to dwell among us. And put that picture back up, if you would, of the, of the boy standing in that garbage dump. You came to dwell among us and in the garbage dump of this world, morally filthy wickedness. You're all you've ever known is complete purity, holiness, but you're, you're standing in the garbage dump of the world. It's, it's just uh, it for 30 years. I know we can't quite keep it up there. All right, come on. Um, it's, and he knows his journey through the garbage dump is going to end at that cross. He knows this. I think he knew it at 12. He knew the word of God. He knew Psalm 22. He knew that he had come to live out those prophecies. He cared. Now, he's not yet entered into the ministry yet. That happens at his baptism. That's when everything heats up. But still, at this phase, he weep. He wept. About the pain around him. He prepared. God's committed to our preparation. God's committed to help us become all that he's desired us to be. That's why they say the most productive years. You know what the most productive years are that studied research? Between 60 and 70. That jacks me up. 
the second most productive years are between 70 and 80. That's just facts. The third most is like 50 to 60. In other words, you're struggling young. That's just hard. It's life. I mean, you got, you got the best years in front of you. Don't think God is going to take all the pain, all the failures, all the successes, all the lessons, and he just wants to kind of bury you in the ground. No, he wants to use you. That might be an investing in uh, a teenager. It might be serving in some capacity. Uh, whatever you make yourself available to God, it's more than just playing fun games. You say, God, you, you, you've trained me. You've trained. What do you want to do with me? Now, sometimes it's being faithful to taking care of a spouse that has, has mental uh, uh, deficiencies, uh, has Alzheimer's or, or dementia. Now, I know godly people that their life has been shrunk down to, I can't leave her alone. And my ministry is her or him. It's gone. They're not writing a book. They're not preaching online. They're not known in the city. They're not, they're not even seen visibly very much, but they're just being faithful. This silent, ordinary years of Jesus says God sees that. He honors that. He doesn't measure it the way the world measures glory. That's glorious. That's glorious to see someone care for somebody that can't care for themselves. That's glory. That's what John is talking about. We beheld, when we go through the life of Jesus, the thing, yes, there's miracles. Yes, there's signs and wonders. But the glory that John's pointing out is the glory of seeing Jesus wash feet. That's, he's saying the glory of humility. He's seeing the glory of God reflected in a carpenter's hands. He's the creator of the world. It was said by uh, a, a, lay, a later leader in the church, Justin Martyr, 150 years after Christ. He said they were still using plows. And there was a second thing. I don't know if it was tables. I wrote it down. I want to get it right. That they were using uh, plows and yokes. 150 years that Jesus had made. Made by the hands of Jesus, creator of the universe. He didn't make crap. He didn't fudge. He did it with all of his heart. What's it going to do? You're saving the world? No, I'm going to plow a field with this yoke. And I'm going to wear one. All of his stories often are told about what he lived with the agricultural world that he was in and and the man that built his house. He could have built houses. 150 years later, there was no plastic back then. This is wood. He's a craftsman. He's an artisan. He did it unto God, probably supporting his mother. Most believe Joseph, his stepdad, died early in his life, and he had to support the rest of the family. Hard worker. He did it unto the father. When he went to the temple, my father. I'm living on his timing. I'm waiting for him to say, now. I'm waiting for him to say, go. I'm waiting. So there's a, look, look, there's a secret in this. That the Bible's given us to look for glory in ways that you normally wouldn't look for. Look for it in the sarks of Jesus. Don't look for it through it. 
find the humanity, the humility of God, the faithfulness of God, the ordinariness. That How humbling is it to be God and no, not tell anybody? Not even tell your buddies at school. By the way, I'm God. You got to know, think of baby, think of boy, young boy Jesus as a typical adolescent with the, with the knowledge, the humility that he characterized and that he served his family with hard work. He came in the form of a servant. Those years were not different than the ministry years. They just weren't recognized. They were hidden. They were obscure. So God says, I see the small stuff. Small stuff's big stuff. Wax on, wax off. Jesus was getting ready. How long? It took him a long time because he's getting ready to go into a war. Just how long they train. How long, Joe, Joe, how long to train a fighter pilot? How many years? Three years. After what, though? You're going to come out of high school and be a fighter pilot in three years? Huh? Once you start flight training. Then you're basic. But to get up to a top gun level, how many hours have you put in flying? 11 years. Just to get to that. Which he knows because he did. So that is what God looks at as faithful. Nobody sees the, the, those quiet times that you're crying out to God, doing the hard work. Nobody sees it. No one's thanking you. It's, unright. it's hidden years. But it's doxa. It's glorious. To God. Jesus was shining without a glow. That's that little halo. If you see him as a carpenter and the painting puts a little halo, it just means that's significant to God. That's sacred to God. Jesus as a 12-year-old in a temple, little halo, not because he is being arrogant or, or showing out, but because it's sacred that he's after God at 12. He didn't have to find God. He believed in God from his mother's womb. Wow. You couldn't make it. If you couldn't make this. No one would make this story up. It doesn't make sense. It's too ordinary. It's too human. God's going to come to earth and be a carpenter? Nah. For 17 years? Nah. Nah. But God has a different way of doing stuff. But it was humbling. It was hum- waiting is humbling. I don't wait well. Do you, have, you might have the gift of waiting. I don't wait well. But God's been committed to teach me. Waiting makes me have to pray. Waiting reminds me I'm not in control. Waiting is the time of preparation. Don't waste that time of waiting. Whatever God gives you the ordinary days, and I know the older you get, the more I thank God for ordinary days. No phone call. Just had a friend of a friend who's there pastoring in Tennessee, came from this area, their 37-year-old boy killed with a, in a motorcycle accident. Uh, pastor's kid, 37. I've got three of them in that age bracket, or a little older. You know, a little older than that. You guys are getting, let's stop, let's stay in that age bracket. But I just think, Lord, it doesn't make sense. Some of the saints of God, Keith Green, that wrote some of the most amazing Christian songs that were ever written, died at, what was he, Tom, 30, 28. You're like, come on, all these idiot rockers and idiot whatevers 
that are singing about poisonous messages. And here's someone sold out to God with all of his heart. And he dies in a plane crash with a couple of his kids at 28. It doesn't make sense because God's got a different timetable going on. That guy did more in those 28 years than I'll do in two lifetimes. His impact in affecting people. So let's pray together. <clears throat> when we study about the ways of Jesus, it's, it's, it's not just to go, wow, that's Jesus. Wow. Look how he did it. It's, it's, no, it's, it's, it's the Lord saying, he is your example. He did it for us, but he also calls us to do it as he did it. And, and let these lessons of who God is revealed as through the simpleness, ordinariness of a carpenter, a 12-year-old, even a baby, even the baby Jesus revealed the character of the Father. And a glory that was hidden by flesh, hidden by normalcy and ordinariness. But, boy, if, you, if God begins to open your eyes, you begin to see things in a different perspective of what's important. If you're here this morning and, and, and you've never come into a relationship, he's become smaller so that you can come near. He's dwelt with us so that we can know him. He, he's smaller, not in the sense that he's lost his power, but he laid his power aside so he could be approachable. He laid his, his rights and privileges aside. He humbled himself. He became obedient to earthly parents. He, he, he lived in obscurity. He did that because he came on a mission. I must be about my father's business, which was the redemption of this world, which includes us. So if you've never come into that relationship uh, with Christ, you can do it right now online. If you're listening, just you whisper a prayer. God hears the lightest, smallest whispers, but just mean it. Jesus, come be Lord of my life. Just ask him. Jesus, come dwell in my heart. You came to earth to dwell so that you could return to heaven and then come back through your spirit and dwell in each of us. Come dwell in us, Lord. Ask him that this morning. Father, I just pray you bless this time of commitment uh, and, and just move, Father, with your spirit among us. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.